as a teacher who doesn't teach remotely, uh, and you do, what issues are going to occur for me that I'm not going to think about? <laughs> oh, that is a good question. Um, okay. Uh, for even myself, so I've got um, one of my, I've got three children, one's in high school and two are in primary school. So straight away, if we go to online learning, I don't have enough computers in my house to have them all doing online learning at once. So I think that's a big thing that we need to think about, you know, the families the kids are coming from, are they all in secondary? Do they all have their own device? They might not have their own device. Um, so it's all well and good that we do timetables for them, but then that might clash with the younger siblings' timetables as well. So at distance education, when we get families in, we have that scenario. So we actually create a family timetable where we can see what child's having what lesson at what time and with what teacher to kind of share that online um, you know, whether it's a Zoom or a satellite or an Adobe Connect, a Google Hangout lesson as well. So that's something to think about as um, distance education teachers that, you know, you might have your role and your list of students, but the logistics of pulling it off at the home um, can be quite difficult and we're there. We've got to support the supervisor, whether that be the parent, a carer, grandparent, aunt, um, as much as possible. So, um, yeah, just be prepared to become very resourceful um, in regards to that kind of stuff. Um, another thing would be just the welfare side of it. It's one thing to deliver curriculum, but we've got to be really prepared and be vigilant. That's why I always like to have team teachers and just seeing what kids are posting, if there's anything going on in the background, whether they're having private chats. Um, there's a whole behaviour thing that comes into it too because it's all well and good to have them all grouped together but they get excited and they might be talking about irrelevant stuff while you're delivering the best lesson ever um, but they're not that engaged. So <laughs> sometimes, yeah, that's things to think about as well. So I'd be really organised with my curriculum because then you've got all this other stuff to contend with, with the technology. Kids might go, I've run out of data. And you could go, oh, well, you could go to your library or the Maccas, but then you've got social distancing as well. So it's kind of just be prepared to be really resourceful and have, you know, a few options up your sleeves in terms of delivery um, because you will be challenged with, yeah, there'll be stuff that I haven't mentioned that will arise and you go, oh, my gosh, I just don't know how to do that um, or I didn't even think of that. There We didn't, what's our school's policy around that type of thing. So, yeah, um, I've had to mute a few kids in my Google Classroom because they're putting irrelevant comments in there so that's you know you ring them you talk to them this is you know inappropriate behavior so then you've got to speak to the parents about that as well you know log that where does that get logged so yeah so there's lots lots of different things to think yeah. about so all, your, all your normal classroom issues then yeah. don't just disappear when kids are yeah. at home <laughs> no if anything there's if they're left to their own devices or if you've got multiple children in one house the supervisor is very active and doing the best they can that doesn't mean that everyone's going to behave themselves under the one roof. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I noticed, though, with a lot of the stuff that you were talking about there, it kind of sounded like it happens during the teacher's presenting. Uh, would you advise trying to get rid of some of that presenting so that the learning is more, uh, uh, say, student-centred, but that's not necessarily the, the correct way, but um, 
you know, either recording the video or having learning that doesn't necessarily involve you giving direct instruction? Um, you definitely have to have learning that involves not direct instruction. So one of the things we've found with Zoom was kids could chat behind the scenes. So on Zoom, we could chat and make sure it's only they can only chat to the host only type of thing. So there's features to be able to turn that off as well. Um, I think it's really important as distance education teachers or online, um, you know, feeding kids information, you don't get stuck in here's the work, here's the video, here's the work, here's the video because that just um, becomes monotonous, they'll lose interest. So they're still naughty sometimes when you're teaching them type of thing um, and it's not always naughty, it's mischievous type of thing and they can be naughty online when you leave them. It just comes back down to knowing who you've got on your Zoom and asking questions all the time. So when you're doing that explicit, say, teaching or you're challenging their thoughts around the content, that's where you've got to be um, take a role at the beginning of your lesson so you know who's there. And I just kind of rotate through the role depending on the question and just make sure everyone's getting asked a question or asked for their thoughts or their opinions or an answer the whole time I'm delivering a Zoom lesson just to know that they're, one, not being left out but I haven't and I haven't forgotten about them but challenging them to see that they're on the ball type of thing. So that might be if you turn a video on that usually chews up more data. So I usually turn that leave the videos off um, and they're just their little names and microphones. But when I get them to ask questions, they can turn all of that on type of thing. Or if I'm getting nothing, I'll just turn the video on myself and find that we're talking to an empty chair. So then that requires follow-up after the lesson to ring and go, oh, I noticed, you know, you logged on, but you weren't there type of thing. So that's why I do like Google Documents because if we are working in the document, I can actually see who's there and actually if they're in the right place. So I'll post an assignment, but I might open up 10 assignments in my classroom and share my screen with my kids so they can see that I'm watching everything that they're doing as well. And it's a bit more accountability for them. Yeah, I tend to find with those types of things, if you tell the students the kind of access that you have to those documents, it tends to reduce the amount of stuff that they then test because as soon as you go, look, I can see every time you write anything, it gets timestamped, it's got your name on it and it's and it's there. Even if you delete it, I can still go back through the version history and see everything or um, mm -hmm. any kind of access that you've got. When you pull up everyone's screen at once, for example, you know, just makes them go, okay, I, 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 there's no point trying to do stuff they know they're going to get caught, really. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, which then, yeah, it's it's in one sense, it's almost easier to manage than, to a certain extent than than your classrooms, where you've only got two sets of eyes in your classroom when you're looking around. Yeah, that is true. But also, too, I've um, heard the primary teachers delivering awesome lessons um, and the little kids are sitting there and they might touch the camera and then knock it off and that, that's a whole other lot of behaviour for the poor little primaries that are learning by the um, distance as well. Yeah, but yeah. their supervisors are very good and kind of get onto that. And the teachers, yeah, are very skilled at asking questions and seeing the wriggling happening before it actually turns into someone disappearing. So, yeah, it's... Um, still that skill set of you know knowing your students and how they learn yep yeah yeah it's a, it's a good skill set to have that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so before we go then kelly is there anything else any other advice that you can give to teachers who are about to or may need to at some point 
either prep their lessons or need to close their school for any number of reasons at this point uh, mm -hmm. so that they can deliver some remote teaching. Any other just great advice you've got before we go? Um, just um, ask lots of questions of each other and you'll soon find out, you know, the way one school's doing it might not work for your school, but you'll take something away from the way that they're doing it. So just lots of talking, lots of connecting um, with people either in your subject area or around your school area, um, touch base with people um, who've been there and done that. Um, but definitely um, be brave. Don't be scared. Just push a button and see what happens. Um, make sure all your work, I would say, if you're delivering it online, is saved somewhere, whether it's on a hard drive or in a Google Drive somewhere, because then when you post it on your platform or you create it on your platform, you've still got the original um, somewhere if all, you know, everything fails or the technology blows out or you press a delete button, which most platforms have beautiful version histories. You can go back and find what you wanted, but sometimes that can be very disheartening um, when you're creating material. But definitely be brave, press lots of buttons um, and be patient with your students as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, my final question, my final question that I actually have, I know because I know there's going to be contests where this happens. So let's say a student has to work from home uh, mm -hmm. and their parents are around or whatever, but they just all decide as a family that who cares what learning happens during this time because it's, you know, it's a stressful time. Yeah. There's other things for them to worry about. Whatever, what kind of advice would you have for how you might address that? I would probably, because I'm just thinking about the logistics of my family as well, because I've got one high school, two primary, and then I didn't even encounter that my husband would be sent home to work as well. I'm like, oh, my God, we're all going to be in the one house with, and not everyone's going to have a screen. I would just kind of build in a rotation um, in regards to who's on the computer at what time, um, rotate it around, definitely have your breaks, get outside, um, you know, as a family group just to take a bit of a breath, do some exercise, um, have little brain breaks type of thing. But um, I definitely would really structure it like a school day so everyone has really clear boundaries of what the expectations are because it's really hard to turn your home into a school and the kids are going, well, is this home time or is this school time type of thing? I don't know. So I definitely would. Um, and maybe try, if, you, if it is possible, to give everyone their own work space. Um, but in saying that, I wouldn't let everyone, um, you know, you might do, um, if students are doing a particular work where it is that written work or they're just working through something on their computer but they're not online, um, then you may let them go into the bedroom. But I wouldn't let anyone who's online in a private space while I'm at home, everyone would be in the kitchen if they're online. Um, but, yeah, if they are having their own spaces, you might dedicate particular spaces for particular activities. But definitely make a routine and structure so they know that, nope, this is school time. Um, I've heard of different kids actually getting up and getting dressed in uniform. So they, and they still stay at home and do their distance education, but because they're in uniform, they know that, okay, that's school time type of thing. And so when it's all finished, they get changed into their casual clothes and then they know, okay, it's home time. So that, that could be a solution possibly. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, yeah, with the, with the question I was asking, I was actually, I was more kind of directed towards the, to, as a school, what do I do? 
I have a family that I've sent home and the family just don't care how much learning the kids do. Um, either because like you were saying, you know, there's two parents at home that also have to work because yeah. uh, they're working distantly maybe uh, or remotely. And then, so yeah, it was more, what advice you have for teachers and schools when, yep. they're, when they're doing that? Uh, well, we have a monitoring week. Um, so weeks four and eight, um, we monitor students. So that's when we ask all the teachers to go back through their records and look at the students in regards to attendance to lessons. Um, and some of our students may not have um, a phone lesson or um, a Zoom lesson as such uh, because of the nature of their enrolment with us. Um, or they might be travellers and um, not have access to all that. So what happens is every week four, week eight, we have monitoring. Have they engaged with our lessons? Have they returned any work? That type of thing. So if that hasn't happened, bless you. I even muted myself so that I wouldn't come through. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> You're right. It's actually a video, so it's, I don't know what I was thinking. That's okay. <laughs> and now it's gone, so it's all good. It's all, all good. good. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. So definitely there's a big welfare component there. You need to kind of be monitoring. And with that monitoring, if um, one kid across multiple KLAs comes up as a concern, um, that's when the – You'd have a student advisor that would ring that particular family and go, oh, look, what's going on? Is there something we should know about? We haven't, you know, there's not much work coming in as well. So, yeah, as a school, definitely your student advisors, your welfare people um, need to be supported by the whole staff and knowing, you know, who's returned what, what's come in, that type of thing. So, once again, a whole nother level of logistics in regards to monitoring students and welfare and checking outcomes and a met. Um, and things like that as well. So it's a tough gig. Yeah, yeah. I think my, my approach is generally to have really high expectations. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but then have a massive amount of grace as well because reality is, you know, if your school closes because of coronavirus and you've got two weeks at least that so you're going to have to have kids working at home and parents would then working at home, uh, to allow that family grace in the sense that the kid's not going to get as much work done as they mm. would normally get done, uh, that the family's got a lot of other things they've got to juggle too, you know, getting food, getting toilet paper can be difficult yep. at the moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, if those stresses exist, I think they're more important. I think life and family are more important than two weeks or three weeks, however long it ends up being, uh, mm -hmm. worth of learning. So for me, I think the approach of, yes, have high expectations. You expect them to be there. You expect them to get work done chasing them up, uh, doing all those types of things is, is really good, I think. But mm -hmm. I think in the end, if it ends up being you know, your school is closed for four weeks and the kid does nothing, in reality, mm -hmm. that's only four weeks worth of work that they've, they've missed. Um, and it's a very exceptional circumstance and all those types of things. I think I'm pretty sure that they, we should just allow them to, to have that happen, I think. I don't, I don't think we should, obviously, in, in a context where it's actually a yeah, legitimate life stuff that's going on, not just you know, someone who just went, oh, I'm 17 and couldn't be bothered. That's a different mm. story, I think. But it, when there's family and you know, little kids particularly yeah, who are struggling to get on and to do work or to do their uh, paperwork that was sent home or whatever because of what's around them, I think, um, yeah, expect a lot, but in the sense of how you set it up and how you approach them uh, and how you 
help them to get the work done. But in the end, I think extending that grace and allowing them to either catch stuff up, just submit assignments, you know, doing the minimal things that are needed uh, in order to meet uh, your state's requirements, which you know, here is NESA. So yeah, that's, I think that's kind of my approach to things because I've got a particular value system where family is more important than school. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's true and that's, and that's a fact for a lot of our families, especially um, our rural remote. If it's mustering or if their floods are in fit and drought, you know, sometimes school does come second. Um, but I guess it's our job um, as teachers just to create or give them every opportunity to engage. Yep. Um, and once we've created those opportunities and we're following it up and we have, um, you know, all our, um, you know, we're meeting, I guess, you know, our welfare um, requirements, our duty of care, I just think I agree with you. Definitely family is more important, but as educators we've got to give them every opportunity to be able to access that. And sometimes that's really exhausting because you can have a group of, say, year nine students that have um, various backgrounds, but it's, once again, it's, you know, differentiating your work for them to be able to access it um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, as a, an online distance educator, it's about creating opportunities for engagement um, and hopefully that's what we do. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Uh, yeah, the Thanks for listening to the remote learning series with Kelly Pfeiffer from Dubbo Distance Ed. Please make sure that you tune into the next episode and please feel free to catch up with me, Dan Jackson, at teacherspd.net.